Welcome to the Decode 6 podcast, where we take your questions about carbon and ecosystem services and match them to the experts with the answers. I'm your host, DJ May. This week, we're talking about the big picture of dairy emissions. What are the sources of dairy emissions? How can we reduce them? And what opportunities do we have to improve dairy production in the future? Our expert with the answers is Dr. Frank Mitloner, a professor and air quality specialist in cooperative extension in the Department of Animal Science at UC Davis. In his dual academic and extension roles, Frank shares his knowledge and research with students, scientists, farmers and ranchers, policymakers, and the public. He is also director of the CLEAR Center, which uses research and communication to bring clarity to the intersection of animal agriculture and the environment. In doing so, the CLEAR Center is helping our global community understand the environmental and human health impacts of livestock so we can make informed decisions about the foods we eat while reducing environmental impacts. Frank, welcome. It's great to have you on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Perfect. We're going to dive straight in. So what do we know about greenhouse gas emissions from livestock and dairy farms in particular? Well, there are three greenhouse gases. There's uh, carbon dioxide and methane and nitrous oxide. And, um, and they differ quite a bit with respect to how much heat from the sun they trap per molecule. Um, while most other industries really emit a lot of carbon dioxide by burning fossil fuels, like oil, coal, and gas. The livestock industry, and that includes dairy, uh, produces mainly methane gas. Methane is about almost 30 times, three zero, almost 30 times more powerful per molecule of gas than carbon dioxide. But the good thing about methane is that, yes, it is powerful in trapping heat from the sun, but... It is short-lived. There are other molecules, other molecules that kill that gas, and that happens in approximately one decade, uh, in contrast to a thousand years for CO2. So uh, dairies do produce methane, um, and that is something we have to watch and something we need to mitigate, meaning reduce. But when we do, we can reduce warming, and that's an opportunity. Perfect. So in the context of like overall greenhouse gas emissions, how much is coming from livestock? So in the United States, um, approximately 2% of all greenhouse gases come from dairy and about the same, maybe a little more from beef. So the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, quantifies uh, all livestock as emitting approximately 4, a little bit over 4% of all greenhouse gases in the United States. Globally, the total emissions of livestock greenhouse gases are quantified as 11% by the United Nations uh, Food and Agricultural Organization. Okay, perfect. When we think about where greenhouse gases are coming from with livestock um, and on, on farm in particular, what are the sources? Where exactly are those gases coming from? There are two main sources. The one is um, called enteric emissions, and that means when uh, cattle, let's say, and other ruminants, when they eat grasses, and that's their number one really uh, dietary item, when they eat grasses or other cellulose-containing feedstuffs, then the methane-producing um, microbes in their digestive tract um, will 
produce that gas. It's an unintended consequence of digesting, being able to digest cellulose. Uh, that gas builds up in the rumen, in that large stomach compartment, and sooner or later needs to come out. And it comes out via belching, and that's called enteric emissions. That's the number one source of methane from animal agriculture. The number two source is decomposing manure under oxygen-deprived conditions, um, also called anaerobic conditions. Okay, so if manure is exposed to oxygen, do we still see greenhouse gas emissions from that? Uh, when manure is, let's say, treated with oxygen, let's say you mix it or you infuse oxygen into it, then you will not produce methane gas. You would produce CO2, but not methane, CH4. Um, so methane is generally generated under oxygen-deprived conditions, whether that's in the anaerobic uh, rumen of the animals or whether it's in a lagoon, let's say, where the manure is stored in an anaerobic fashion. Okay. Perfect. So when we think about those sources of greenhouse gases on the farm, um, what are some ways we could reduce them? There are several really good approaches that are, um, that are bubbling up, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> the one is related to the animal manure. If you cover the lagoon um, and you prevent the gases from going into the air, then that's called a digester or a covered lagoon, you trap the gases. They will now not go into the air, but they are trapped. And about 60%, 6-0, is, 60% of that biogas mixture is methane. And while, while most people view methane as a problem, methane actually um, can be part of a solution. Why so? Because methane is really energy. Methane is the same thing as the natural gas that you burn at home to heat your home or to cook food. So it is a problem if it goes into the air unutilized and it's just off-gassing because then it's a greenhouse gas. But if you trap it, then you can convert that methane into transportation fuels, let's say, and run vehicle fleets like heavy-duty trucks or electric vehicles, or you can make it into power for homes. So you can make something that used to be a liability into an asset. That's on the manure side. On the animal side, the enteric side, there are several approaches. One of them is the feeding of feed additives. Feed additives are things that you add to the diet of the animals, uh, and these additives can either change the microbial composition in the rumen, uh, away from those microbes that form methane to those that don't, or um, feed additives can also potentially reduce the actual enzymatic uh, process of methane formation. That's one approach, feed additives. Another approach is breeding. Uh, believe it or not, there are low methane and high methane producing cows. And we can, through breeding, select cattle for low methane. Uh, and in the future, we'll do that because it makes no sense. We don't want uh, too much methane to leave the animal because it's a unwanted energy loss. About 10% of the energy we feed to cows gets lost as methane. So that can be changed through breeding. Then there's another approach the New Zealanders are working on, which is a methane vaccine. That's not ready for prime time, but uh, people are working on it. And last but not least, there's a bolus. And that's like a capsule that you can lodge in the rumen of those animals, and you have to replace it once every six months. And it slowly releases an active ingredient to reduce enteric methane. So feed additives, 
uh, breeding, vaccination, boluses, um, and on the manure side, um, anaerobic digesters producing biogas that's converted into fuel or power. Perfect. And then one other thing I've been kind of thinking about, um, what about applying manure? Like saying you take it out and you put it on a field instead of leaving it in a lagoon or using it well, some other way. All manure is land applied sooner or later as fertilizer. So that's not uh, something unusual. That's uh, standard. That's what everybody does. So okay. lagoon water is, uh, lagoon content is never just left there uh, three or four times a year. It's used as fertilizer and applied to crops. Is there any way to make that more sustainable or are we pretty efficient already with applied manure? Yes, we can make it more uh, efficient by making sure that we are applying the lagoon water and therefore the nutrients to crops at times when the crops are ready to take the nutrients on. And that's referred to as applying that manure at agronomic rates. It means apply it at the time the crops are ready at the rates they need and not too much, not too little, not at the wrong time. So, for example, you don't want to land apply lagoon water in the middle of winter when the, when the ground is frozen. That makes no sense. Right. Or apply it when you don't have crops on the field. You have to do it when your crops are ready. Other, otherwise, you will run into unwanted nutrient losses, also called emissions or pollution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. From a from a farmer perspective, if you were going to give advice, if they wanted to make some maybe small changes to impact their emissions, what would you say is the most practical or the easiest way to get your foot in the door? So there are so, so many different farm types. Um, and so it's almost impossible to answer that question um, other than by saying, look at what your best um solutions are the ones that work best for you um please know this issue will not just go away it is here to stay um even if you operate in a state that currently doesn't have regulations and so on like california does uh it is very unlikely that this issue will go away because the people who buy your milk and your meat and so on they are asking questions about carbon footprint how it has changed over the last 5 10 15 20 years what you're doing to improve and so on. So it behooves a farmer to uh, investigate this issue and and to find out what the best approach is for you. Um, many of these approaches are cost neutral or even beneficial from an economic perspective and at the same time also help on the environmental side. And this is what we work on feverishly here at UC Davis, finding solutions that work not just environmentally, but also economically. Because if the latter doesn't happen, then farmers will not do it because they have to be able to run their farm. Perfect. Well, thank you, Frank. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Well, I just want your listeners to know that um, many people, including myself, are quite tired of farmers getting the bad rap. Our farmers are extremely important to our society, just like our doctors and nurses are. And while the, the latter here uh, provides service to improve our health and maintain it, our farmers are there to grow our food. And we need our farmers. And we need society to work with our farmers to live up to all the new societal expectations. 
they change every couple of years, okay? And please know that if you want all these things to happen, somebody has to pay for them too. Uh, it's not our farmers that are adverse to change. They are, they are willing to change. But as a society, we have to decide what are we willing um, to ask them to do? How are we willing to support them? Because we don't want them to shut down shop, close shop and leave the business. We need our farmers. And in order to make them stay in the business and pass it on to the next generation, we, uh, we need to do better as a society. And uh, I just want to thank everybody who is a farmer and who is listening to this um, and assure you that many people in my profession at the universities are very eager to help you stay in business and stay vibrant and uh, at the same time inform agencies and so on to use best available data uh, to come up with solutions that work. Well said, Frank. That's great. Thank you so much for your time. It was great having you. You're most welcome. Thanks for having me. And that's today's show. If you want to learn more about dairy emissions, stop by decode6.org. We're releasing a whole bunch of content that will help you or your clients make their dairy operations more sustainable, including feed production, enteric methane, manure management, and herd management. And if you want to learn more about Frank's work in the Clear Center, check out the show notes. Finally, if you like the show, subscribe and share it with a friend. We'd like to thank Dairy Management Incorporated for their generous support of this podcast. Until next time.